starting in verse 9. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'll give you a second. That's my cue to drink some water. Paul goes on to say, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, like always, to bring understanding to the text. Father God, I pray, Lord, that diligent study and prayer will illuminate along with your Holy Spirit, Father God, of what Paul is teaching and encouraging and praying for here, God. I pray that we can see it clearly for the Colossians. I pray that we can see it just as clearly for ourselves in our own life, in our own ministries, Father God. And I pray, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We covered the first half of this uh, last week, and uh, my attempt was to cover the rest of it this week, uh, but I cannot. I will cover a couple more points, and I'll finish it next week. Uh, because as we get into it and you study it out, you re- realize I, I don't want to run through this. It's, it's too precious. <clears throat> it's not just too precious to me. It's too precious to God. It's too precious to the apostle. And God wants his people to chew on the word of God, not just to run through it. So we do have the, the luxury of taking our time. Amen? So I will take my time as we go through these things. Uh, last week we spoke more about the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, in the knowledge of his will, we spoke about having two points, two aspects. One is doctrinal, the other one is the ethical implications that naturally follow from a true knowledge of God and his will. Doctrinal is all Christ is and all he has accomplished. Please don't forget that. It's all Christ is and all he has accomplished, which chapter one, the rest of chapter one and chapter two will speak about. The rest is the ethical of how now do we live? Christ has come. The king has paid our redemption. Now what do I do? That's chapter 3 and 4. Spiritual wisdom and understanding is the application uh, of all we know about God's will. To the everyday situations we find ourselves in. Spiritual discernment. We can have knowledge of who God is. We can have knowledge of his character. We can have knowledge of what Christ has done for us. We can have knowledge of Christ's deity and all these things that we should understand in our full redemption. But how does that break down into our life? How do we, how does it meet every circumstance of our life? You know, the, we could say W, uh, what, what was it, a WWJD, what would Jesus do type of thing, you know? And it, but that, that's not bad, because we are, we're seeking God's will in every situation. Uh, this is what God wants us to do. This is what being filled with the fullness of the knowledge of God is. This is the beginning of a life that's pleasing to the Lord. It starts on the inside. A life that's pleasing to the Lord starts on the inside, starts on the heart. That's where the root is. If we want to have a fruit of pleasing God in good works, then we have to have the, the, the root, which is a heart that wants to please the Lord. That's where it starts. 
<clears throat> starts on the inside. But tonight, that's what we spoke about last week. Tonight we're going to speak of how it's expressed on the outside, and that's fruit-bearing. The Christian's fruit-bearing. As verse 10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. We could stop there and say, well, we could try to fumble around. But Paul lets us know, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 10 is the main idea of the text. Paul's prayerful focus is on the maturity, now I want you to hear this, of Christian ministry. The Colossians and their Christian ministry in that dark portion of the world. Paul's concern is that this light does not go out, that this light stays focused, that this light gets rooted, it gets established in Christ, and it becomes that city, as Pastor John said, that's set on a hill where more dark people can find what? The light. When we read a text like this, or we read that text where it says, uh, uh, work out your salvation with, we always think of the individually, we think of our own little life. But Paul wrote to a church. That's not just about individually working out. It's about the church working out their salvation in fear and trouble. It's about the church growing in the full knowledge of God. It's about the church bearing fruit in every good gift. That's what it's, it's our job. So Paul was concerned not just about the individual, but he's concerned about the church, that it doesn't lose its power, its focus, its unity, its mission-mindedness. That's what... Paul's concerned about. He wants it to be a thriving church where more people in the darkness can find the light. <clears throat> we have to always remember that when we're applying many of these texts because we think they're just individual. How am I to be a better Christian? But it's not. When we come together and we gather today and we come in week in and week out, month in and month out, year out and year out, we're establishing, we're strengthening the church that other people can come where you can bring people that don't know Christ and they can find salvation and sanctification. So it's, it's individual for sure, but it's just as much corporate. He wants us to mature. Paul's praying that the Colossians will be fully pleasing. Fully pleasing to the Lord. I think Paul says it better in, in Romans chapter uh, 12 to be, not better, but he says it in another way. He says to be what? A living sacrifice. Our life should be consumed with God. God is not just a subject amongst many men or many subjects he is the subject he is our wisdom he is our contentment he's our redemption he's our justification outside of christ i don't need anything else i can go anywhere in the world learn anything as long as christ is the center of everything in our life we will not be tossed to and fro christ has to be the center of life that's a life that's fully pleasing to him And this is an altered attitude about what life's all about. Just coming to church is part of pleasing to the Lord. We'll speak a little more about that later. But this is the root. Something has changed on the inside that we desire to be pleasing to God. Not just pleasing to God. Not to do a couple of things. But to be fully pleasing to Him. Or pleasing Him fully in all areas of our life. Paul goes on, and we'll speak about this tonight, four traits that are pleasing to God. So we'll evaluate our life as we go through these things. The first thing he speaks about is bearing fruit in every good work. <clears throat> Works generally in the New Testament need to be understood as Christians helping other. When you read the New Testament, you'll see that in John. You'll see that in Peter. you see that in Hebrews. 
just about all Paul's epistles, you see it clearly. It, there's also an emphasis on, uh, on the outsider. Uh, we see that in Titus. But we see it clearly that is helping other Christians. We, it's the community of faith that we've been redeemed. We're rescued out of the darkness. We've been transferred into the kingdom of light. He's qualified all of us as brothers and sisters through adoption, through Christ, to have eternal life. And now we come together and we minister to one another. Because guess what? We're all sick. Look at the person next to you. He's sick. She's sick. Look at my wife. Look at your pastor. We're sick. We're sick people. And we need ministry. Desperately need ministry. We need the truth spoken and what? Come on. We are. Let's be honest about it. We come through the door. We're all happy now. But there's a lot of burning fires in the room tonight. Because we need one another. Life is hard. Life is challenging. Many people are suffering. Many people are going through tribulations. Some people have uh, anxiety. Some people have hopelessness. Some people feel like I blew it. God can't love me no more. And it's all represented in the room. We all bring stuff. We all need one another. So works generally need to be understood as helping other Christians in all areas of life. Uh, It starts with the household of faith, like I just said. But it also has the outside component. Luke 6 teaches this very clearly. If we can pull this up, and I don't want to miss this point. Starting in verse 31. Most of us know it. As Luke writes uh, Jesus' words, And as you wish that others would do to you, so you do to them. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love those, Jesus says, who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. He goes on to say, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that from you? For even sin Sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But as for my disciples, is basically what he says here in verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to ungrateful and, and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Matthew says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So we see this, this, this life of fruit bearing, this being fully pleasing to him. Uh, the church shines the brightest in challenging times. If we're just going to love those who love us, then we know something. All right. But Jesus is teaching us you've got to go outside the church. We've got to show ourselves strong to people that really don't want to hear us, don't want to know us, don't care about us, disagree with our doctrine, disagree with our lifestyle. They, they don't like it, but God still wants to be engaged in a very real way to people who are outside the Christian community. As John quoted before Matthew, Nor do people light up a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So good works are a characteristic of the Christian faith, and I'm not going to a New Testament theology on works over here, but it's important for us to notice uh, this is that faith works relationships that James talks about. And when he says in James 2.14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? 
Can that faith save him? See, fruit bearing, fruit bearing in good works, in all interpersonal relationships, fruit bearing with patience and goodness and kindness and self-control and joy and love and gentleness and humility to, uh, towards other people, understand, in the name of God, in the name of Christ, is a witness to the world that the root in us, not the fruit, the root in us is a life that wants to be fully what? That's it. It says to the world, what you say you really mean. It's changed your life. Fruit bearing is an essential characteristic of genuine Christianity and reveals the unseen root of a heart that desires to be fully pleasing unto God. We can never, I can never love those who hate me. I can never, I don't have the strength. But when you already have the seed, the root of wanting to please God, you know something? We start to look at life differently. It could be a struggle in the beginning, it is. Those are strong words. But God has a way of mass producing this kind of fruit in our life. So a life that's fully pleasing to Him is not some kind of easy life. It is a challenge. It's part of picking up the cross. It's part of of following the Lord. But it all flows out of the heart that desires to be fully pleasing to Him. The second thing he wants us to do is growing in the knowledge of God. It's not just about fruit bearing, but to continually grow in the knowledge of God. Knowledge always supports love. And knowledge of God is always essential to proper living. A proper understanding of God will have its dividends in proper living. Uh, Knowledge for some reason, or growing in knowledge for some reason, has a negative connotation with people. As though it's just academic. You know, it's just this mental ascent into theology and doctrine to get lost. But understand something. Uh, If we really truly, the most spiritual person, let me just put it easy, is the one who loves the most, not who knows the most. Mm -hmm. Knowledge, Paul says, puffs up. But love never fails. Love edifies. You know, so knowledge only goes to support love. It doesn't produce love. Love produces love. Did you know that? We love because he what? Love produces love. Law doesn't produce love. Love does. Redeeming, saving grace, love, that produces loving us for God and for other people. So growing in the knowledge of God is a regular diet for the Christian. We never ever settle back on what we learned when we were first saved. We never just sit back and say, well, I read that book. Or... I did that program, or I went through that text, as though we mastered life, as though we mastered love, as though we mastered the knowledge of God. And I've exhausted God, so, you know, I'm just going to kick back now. You know what I mean? I went to church for five years. I know exactly what's going on now. And I read the, the Gospel of John at least twice. That's not what it means. Growing in the knowledge of God, let me paraphrase what I believe it's saying. Listen. Let the full knowledge of God and his will, like a seed planted in good soil, start to produce the fruit of God-likeness in your lives. When we're learning something about God, about his will, ethics, morals, uh, doctrine, theology, it's all like a seed 
God puts in our heart and the Holy Spirit waters that. And it starts to produce something. We start to look at life differently. Can I truly be kind and merciful to evil and ungrateful people? And be perfect like my heavenly father is perfect and prove to be a son of God? Can I do that on my own accord? Absolutely not. I cannot. I'll tell you I cannot do it. But when I know the full knowledge of his will, and I do, and I'm growing in it, and it's growing in me, and I realize that I was once that enemy. I was once the evil and ungrateful slob out there, and God saved me because someone put up with me, and someone prayed for me, and someone walked the extra mile with me, and someone took my slap on the face, and years later I became a Christian, I realized, like, how in the world do I think I can't give it back? The Christian truly and only can say, it's but by the grace of God. That is it. There's a strong connection between knowledge and character in the Bible. There's so much. Uh, Psalm 1 says it so clearly. I'm not going to go through Psalm 1. But John 3, 13, 17 says it wonderful. After Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he says, blessed if you know these things, but blessed if you do them. You know, it's not about blessed if you just know them. He actually actually goes to say, uh, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not so much being blessed by knowing them. Listen, there are many people that know a lot, but their lives are what? Miserable failures. Many people succeed in life. Their careers are ex- wonderful careers in athletics and even theology and professors. And, and, but their lives at home are miserable failures. Yeah, they know a lot. The issue in the world today is not about knowing. It's about doing. I don't need to read Leviticus to find out that don't sleep with an animal. I don't need to read that. It, it comes natural. I don't know. You having trouble with that one? That's natural. I, I know that. You don't have to tell me that more than once. I can figure that one out. But there are some things I need to hear over and over, like love my enemies, because the heart is slow. It is. We need to continually grow in the knowledge of God's will. We need to be continually challenged by doctrine that here you want to hear want to be challenged by doctrine are you ready though he existed in the form of God he did not equate equality with God something to be grasped but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant and yes even on to death you go into Philippians you read 2 6 and 5 6 and 7 and you try to see this high doctrine you can't grasp and if it doesn't challenge you over the years, and ripped the pride right out of our hearts. That God died for me. That's the knowledge of God. And it produces a genuine humility in our hearts. Paul says that he prays that the Colossians... Continually grow in this knowledge. And he'll write it out later. And we'll get into it. As a matter of fact, in two weeks, we'll get into uh, verses 15 to 20. And it talks about some of the highest thinking in the New Testament. 
But that's where it begins. He goes on to say, not just that you grow in knowledge, but you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And that's the, the resurrection and power of the spirit of Christ in us. For all endurance and patience with joy. As awesome as knowledge of God is to the believer, as sweet as it is to our minds and our hearts, the knowing is always easier than the doing. Let's be real. The great problem isn't knowing. The great problem is the doing. With all our spiritual knowledge, Paul says, we need spiritual strength. This reminds the Colossians and us today that we need God's spirit, which every believer knows instinctively. Our spiritual resurrection teaches us that we need to depend on the spirit of God. I can do all things through him who who strengthens me. We need to know that I can sit there and I can hear about loving my enemies, not just those who do good to me. To lend to people who won't ever give me a nickel back. To, to be kind to ungrateful and evil people. I can do that because Christ strengthens me. That is it. It's not optional. But the human heart is slow to learn. Prayer for power is the only way to receive it. It's interesting when Paul says that you may be strengthened with all power. It's all up to God. This is passive. In the Greek, it's passive. It means that it's not like I can do something. It doesn't mean do more push-ups. It doesn't mean to read your Bible more. And there's nothing wrong with push-ups, and there's nothing wrong with reading your Bible more. Uh, Pray more? Yeah, we should pray more. But understand something. We're passive. We got to depend fully on God's strength to carry out God's will. I don't know if I can quote it right now, but Hebrews 13 says that he may equip you to do all that's in his will. That he may equip you to do his will. For it is God who has worked within you for his, both his will and his good pleasure. God has to give that grace. God has to do. And this strengthening by God's spirit that we need to ask for and we need to pray for has a specific goal in mind in this text. This is not about walking around with some kind of moral muscle showing off. This is not about being strong for the race and you know leaving everybody else in the dust. This is not about this. This is about being strengthened for all endurance and patience. Christians don't live God's will out in a vacuum. Guess what? We live in a world that's hostile to God, to his Christ, to his doctrine, to his moral will, its ethical implications. We live in the world that's constantly at odds with what we believe. As Jesus clearly told told his disciples that, don't be shocked when the world hates you. Remember that it, thank you, it hated me first. Don't be shocked that the world is speaking and reviling against you. Don't, don't be shocked it hated me first. 
and the student is not greater than the We live in a world that's hostile to God. And you rest assured, we need spiritual endurance and we need spiritual power. We need patience. But these two words are interesting. You're going to find this very interesting. One has to do with difficult circumstances that try our faith. Those times in our life where we ask, is God really there? Does God really care? I'm praying, I don't feel anything, I don't sense anything, Pastor. It's just the circumstances overwhelming me. It could be anything from sickness and death, abandonment, just whatever it might be. Whatever circumstance in life that challenges our thought, does God really love me? Does God really forgive me? Is God really there? And the other one has to do with, guess what? Difficult people. It's hard to believe, right? None of us have that. There are no difficult people in the world, right? But that's what, that's what he's saying here. He's saying this. It's not just life circumstances that are antagonistic towards our faith. People can be antagonistic towards our faith. They can be, antag- they can be antagonistic towards our commitment to the truth. We live in a world that doesn't want to hear that uh, Jesus is the only way. The Jew of Christ's day didn't want to hear that the law of Moses was over. They didn't want to hear that. We're going to find out that that's why he's in jail for the last five years of his life. Because he was telling the Gentile world that Jesus is the Messiah. And that you don't have to follow the laws of Moses anymore. That's why he's in jail. The Romans didn't put him in jail. The Jews put him in jail. And that's why he's suffering. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And that's the world we live in today. This, this endurance that's needed in this hostile world and the patience that we need with impatient people that can be irritable. Understand, we need this, you know, they come against our faith. They come against, you know, what we think about salvation, about what we think about sex, about morality. And it can be over prolonged period, come from your own family. Attacks on what you believe. You truly believe in hell. You're telling me I'm going to hell. I can't tell you how many times I've been in that conversation. And I had to sit back and say, well, yeah. That's all I can tell you. I'm not going to try to squeeze out of it now. You squeeze me into the corner here. But that's not the last word. I say, but you can go to heaven. You can go to heaven with Jesus. You can have forgiveness of your sins with Jesus. So this endurance and this patience with circumstances in life that challenge our faith, they challenge our hope. They challenge life at its very core. These hard and trying times. We need to pray. We need to be powered and powered by the Holy Spirit to get through this. You never know when the curveballs of life are going to come knocking on the door. Paul knows that this young church has a lot in store for it in the future. There's a lot coming against it. But these, they, but they even expresses more. These two words in the Greek express more. This is not about, you know, just sitting on your hands until the storm passes. This is not, well, this too shall pass, or what it is is what it is, or I'm just waiting for the storm to pass over type of thing. No. What these words are teaching us that, but we can express 
a true different character. It's a joyful, uncomplaining fortitude in the midst of storms. This is not about, oh, I'm doing the best I can. No. This expresses itself in a joyful, uncomplaining attitude. That see this as an opportunity, whether it's trying people or trying circumstances, is an opportunity to showcase God's will in their life. If not for this God-given power, these types of personalities or these tough trials could lead to despondency and even apostasy. If not for God's power, it could lead to anger, self-consumed, being bitter, being wrathful, or being vengeant. And, And never come to say what it really means, what Joseph said, what you meant for evil. God turned it for good. It's being peaceful in the storm. It's being joyful and thankful in the midst of tribulations. It's not a complaining, murmuring, grumbling, why me attitude of life. The person that goes through this kind of trial with people and goes through this kind of trial with circumstances is not crying out, why me? Why me? This is a person that's so filled with the knowledge of his will that desires to be pleasing to him in every aspect of his life that no matter how trying the circumstances, no matter how trying the people, no matter how prong the testing is, he can do what James says and he counts it all joy when his faith is being tested knowing that faith that's tested produces steadfast perseverance and makes a Christian complete and usable for God. This is not about, oh, I'm just going to weather the storm. I'm going to go to the Caribbean for a month. Just chill out. No, this is showing up for work. It's showing up for life. It's showing up as a mother. It's showing up as a father. It's showing up as a pastor. It's showing up as a brother and sister in Christ. And say, let's get on with life. Let's get on with the fruit of the spirit. I'm going to love. I'm going to joy. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be self-controlled. No matter what life looks. No matter how challenging. No matter how much suffering is going on. I'm not going to lose the joy of the Lord. I refuse to lose the joy of the Lord. This is not passive. This is not a passive virtue of patience and endurance. This is a mind set on the purpose of glorifying God in every circumstance of life. This is not a joy that's rooted in a life with no struggles or no inconveniences, but it's rooted in God and His character as revealed in Scripture. In the full knowledge of his will. Optimism is a virtue of the Christian faith. And as we read in Matthew, it somehow glorifies God in heaven. Somehow. Somehow. There's nothing like watching someone go through. I don't want to see anybody go through a hard time. I don't want to see myself go through a hard time. I've gone through my hard times. My wife has gone through hard times. We know what hard times. I know hard times are still going to come. I'm not prophesying hard times. But they come, don't they? But there's something about watching someone go through a hard time 
and you hear, praise the Lord. There's nothing like watching someone going through a hard time and their hands are up saying, I love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind. You'll never leave me, nor will you forsake me. There's something that's edifying to the Christian world when we see saints and brothers and sisters going through trials and tribulations, but in a sense they can count it all joy. Because they know God's in the equation. Whether they think he hears his prayers or not, he is in the equation. That's where our hope is from. That is what our joy is founded on. It's not founded on a life with no struggles and no inconveniences, with no curveballs. It's not based on that. It is based on the character of God as revealed in his son, Jesus Christ, when he raised him from the dead. That's our joy. Who doesn't want to be filled with the full knowledge of his will? When it comes to application. One. The heart to be fully pleasing to God. Do you think you produce that by yourself? Do you not know it's a gift of the Holy Spirit? And that's what it means to be born again. As we learned a couple months ago when we went through Ezekiel. I will give them a new heart. I will put my spirit within them. That's the spirit of Christ. I will put it within them. And they will be careful to do all I command. 1 John 5, 3 says, The commandments of God are not, they're not burdensome. To sit here as a Christian and hear, when we hear, today we're going to speak about the will of God. Instantaneously, that should be, oh, that's pleasing to me. The will of God is pleasing to me. I'm I'm born again. I want to hear the will of God. Challenge me, God. I I want to know the truth. I want to be pleased. And if I'm weak, I'm going to pray for strength, God. I want to know how to please you. I, I want to know how to love you. You redeemed me. You've rescued me. You have qualified me. You have transferred me. Now I I really want to please you in every area of my life. Morally, ethically, financially, physically, doctrinally, theologically, every interpersonal relationship. I want to love those who love me. And I want to have some kind of genuine Christian concern for people that really don't like me and despise me. I want that. I want to taste it. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And yes, we should want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. When it comes to promoting or motivating God's people, we speak to that part of you that wants to be pleasing to God as a pastor. I'm not trying to convince you to live for God. I know life is hard. Loving your enemies is hard. Going through struggles is hard. I know that. I'm not going to try to convince you. I know if you're born again, there is part of you that wants to please God. Am I right? We want to, even if we struggle. That's what we speak to. We're not going to hold fear over your head. We, We don't do that. We speak to that part that the Holy Spirit has put in you to be pleasing to God, to be fully pleasing to the Lord. 
This is more of a philosophy of ministry when it comes to the application. Let them go over and try to fear you into holiness. Peter, Jesus didn't say, well, get out of the boat and walk on the water because it's going to sink. And oh, I'm all scared now. He just said, come. Lord, is that you? Yes, Peter, come. And what did he do? He got out. And the truth is, if he would have kept his eyes on Jesus, he could have walked over the whole Sea of Galilee. And that's the Christian life. We keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who has rescued us, who has qualified us, who has transferred us into the kingdom of light. We learn his will. We learn to be fully pleasing to him because it's already in us. We continue to grow in our knowledge of God. There's a difference in when it comes to the knowledge of God. There's a difference of saying the Apostles' Creed. I know the Apostles' Creed. There's a difference between reciting the Apostles' Creed and knowing is a heartfelt conviction that's worthy to be ridiculed for. You really believe that Jesus is the only way? You really believe that he's coming to judge the living and the dead? Do you have the deep conviction to live by truth? That's knowing truth. There's an intimate knowledge of truth. There's a difference between saying, oh, yeah, I think somewhere in the Lamentations, the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning and his, and his loving kindness is new every day. It's something, it, 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 we're not quoting scripture, we're saying from an experience, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this sinner knows that his loving kindness is fresh and merciful every day. That's knowing his will. That's what it means. There's a difference between saying, I know Romans uh, 8 1 says uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's different from quoting it or saying, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God does not hold my sins against me and there is no condemnation. That's a knowledge of His will. And growing in the knowledge of his will teaches us that, again, a philosophy of ministry. The, the Christian church is a teaching institution. We teach grace. We teach the loving kindness of God. We teach his moral rights and moral wrongs and how we, we fulfill this by grace. It's grace that taught our heart to fear. He goes on to say, praying for strength to know the right way to live, to be filled with the the power of his glorious might. I mean, this is what Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, what in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's a knowledge of his will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our days, our transgressions, as we forgive others. And lead us not. Power only who needs power in their life to live the Christian life? Let's be honest. Can we see a show of hands? Everybody. Okay. I tell you, you're praying. That means you're asking, seeking, and knocking. You're going to receive. If you're not, you can forget about it. All right? I'll tell you that right now. You are not going to wake up with the power of God like a tooth fairy underneath your pillow. And God saying, well, you know, just collect it. 
You know, it doesn't work that it, it comes through tears and it comes through burdens and it comes through failures and it comes to come to God over and over and going and say, God, I cannot make it. I am desperate. That's why I'm seeking. That's why I'm asking. And that's why I'm knocking. That's how the power of God comes to a church. It comes to a ministry. It comes to the individual. It comes by seeking the Lord. And the last one. When it comes to this endurance, and it comes to this patience, endurance and patience through tough times in life and tough people in life. The Christian not, the life is not a grim struggle against the forces of evil of tearing down Satan's throne and casting out demons. It's not. It's an inner life of joy. The joys of, of our salvation is our strength. Joy is a buoyancy in the waters of tribulation. And this joy only comes from a full knowledge of his will, of who he is, what he has done. It comes from prayerfully seeking God's power in our life. Where we won't allow people or circumstances to steal the joyful relationship we have with God. I'm telling you now, you enjoy God, you can do anything. You can endure anything. You can suffer anything. You can deal with the most irritable, bitter human being when you have the joy of the Lord as your strength. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I really believe this is where many Christians struggle. All of us can struggle in this. Prolonged periods of time can test us. And God wants a church, he wants a Christian not just to make it into heaven. God, Christ didn't suffer and die and send the Spirit so that we just barely make it into heaven. Oh, I made it, my struggle, my 75 years of being a Christian, it's finally over. And I can't wait to escape this miserable world, this miserable breaking down body of mine. That is not the Christian faith. This is not a dualism as the Greek philosophers would teach. Well, you know, the body, the Spirit's good, but everything else in the material world is just rotten. No, it is about a genuine, true joy to enjoy God in the midst of every tribulation and storm in life. And for that, we need to do what Paul says. Pray. We need to pray. We need to seek. We need to ask. And we need to knock. Let's pray. Father, you all, you know all the circumstances represented in this room. You know, every Christian's life here, you are intimately acquainted with all our ways. Before we utter one word, you already know it, Father God. You know our innermost parts. You know our thoughts. Before we utter anything, you know our concerns. You know our needs. You know our fears. You know our anxieties, Father. And God, I just pray, Lord God, that you strengthen us by the power of your Spirit in our inner man. For this joyful endurance, not just to get by, Father God, but to joyfully and conquerably get by and move on. Where nothing stops the joy of the Lord in our life, Father God. I pray for all of us as Sonship Ministries, those here and those represented, Father God. And I pray, God, that you strengthen us, encourage us, and, uh, and, and, and let us truly, truly run the race that's set before us. In a way that's honoring to you and pleasing to you with all the curveballs and unpredictabilities that life and circumstance can throw at us, Father God. I pray, Father God, that the joy of the Lord 
is our strength. In Jesus' name.